0: Here's a scoop. On the next pattern, seeking animals, there will be no Malatron. No! Yes! yes.
1: At <laughs> <And, and laughs> least, like, sorry, <laughs> signed up for Great
2: rejoicing the next. <laughs> on one third of UP3. That's
0: my plan at the moment. Excellent plan.
3: Hey, Prog fans, welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prague Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and I am joined tonight by Craig and Lee. We are three friends and Prague aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always, always unvarnished opinions of the music and the personalities that make this genre so great. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at UP3Show, or you can contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. If you just can't get enough of the show and you don't want to make sure you don't miss an episode, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our homepage at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. This makes sure that you never miss an episode and helps other prog fans find the show. Wow. We got a lot to catch up on tonight. Yeah, we do. Let's just go ahead and dive right in here. I'll start with you, Craig. What have you been up to since we last talked?
2: When did we last talk? That was last month. I'm exhausted. That's what's up.
3: Why are you exhausted?
2: You guys know I did this jazz thing last night.
3: It was great. It was awesome. Ah, oh, man, you guys are
2: awesome. We had a great time. It was a 10-week program with the Colorado Conservatory of Jazz Arts, and it was a bunch of middle to late age adults who didn't do jazz in high school or maybe did, but haven't done it in years, and did four songs, and uh, we worked on them for 10 weeks, and it was a great bunch of people that I never knew playing a bunch of songs I never heard, and we had a blast. It was totally fun. It was at a jazz club in Denver. You guys came out. I totally appreciate that. had some other friends. My wife was there. She had a couple cocktails and she was just having a dandy old time.
3: Was she having a dandy old time because her husband was playing or because she had a couple cocktails?
2: Uh, Both. Kind of both. Yeah. (laughs) We're a weird couple. We kind of like each other and we enjoy each other's successes. I'll give her a plug. I'm 60. She's 59. I'm learning jazz. She's about to get a master's degree from Georgia Tech. Nice. That's awesome. We don't sit still.
3: I really liked the club that you guys were in. Really nice two-stage listening club.
2: So Dazzle Jazz in Denver. There's like three main jazz clubs in the Denver metro area. But this is a great one. You know, they get
4: National acts. Christian McBride's going to be there in a couple of weeks.
3: Really awesome. So how about you, Lee? What have you been up to in the past month or so?
4: Working on a lot of music, and we will talk more about it in a few minutes.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I can't wait to hear about that. For me, I have mostly been working on... Getting a new job. Tony.
4: Yeah. Sacrilege.
3: The way the three of us came to know each other is that we not only worked at the same company, we worked in the same department. I think I was talking to Lee and Lee said, oh, you like this music? You know, Craig does too. And then we kind of became friends that way. And Mm -hmm. for various reasons, we've all splintered either to different departments or outside of the company. And so now it's my turn. (laughs) I am leaving our big tech company and going to a different place. That's occupied a lot of my time over the past month. Wrapping up what I'm doing at the current company and preparing for the new one. Very cool. Are you excited? Really, really, really excited. It looks like a good opportunity.
2: Did you interview with anybody with any sense of musical taste at this company?
3: Yes. The VP I report to plays piano and keyboard and produces music videos that he publishes on YouTube. That's awesome. Yeah.
4: And I know that's the reason
2: you went and hired there. And is that how you got the job? Does he even know what your skills are besides doing podcasts?
3: So for those folks that don't see the Zoom background when uh, we record, <laughs> there's usually one of my little MIDI controllers in the background, my guitar hanging in the background. That might have been visible during my interview. <laughs> Ever so subtly. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited for that.
2: Very cool. We're excited for you.
3: Yeah, let's talk about some music. What have you guys been listening to in the past month? Uh, so I'll start with you again, Craig.
2: I've been listening to a lot of jazz. There's a surprise. Yeah. But besides that, I actually have been listening to Magic Pie. Oh. Mm. I don't really know what album it is because somehow or another, I have a bunch of Magic Pie songs on my phone and I was working out in the garage last weekend and I was just kind of looking around what to listen to. And it just said Magic Pie, song one, Magic Pie, song two. I don't know much about that band, but I really enjoyed the heck out of it. Great band. a Very mainstream, kind of proggy. Yeah. Good guitar, good keyboards, great vocals.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm going to dig
4: into these guys a little bit. Awesome. They have some great albums. And they've been around forever, right? They've been around quite a while. Circle of Life, Moses of Desire, there's some really good albums. Mm-hmm. They're one of my
3: favorites. Oh, nice. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. They're great. So how about you, Lee? What have you been listening to?
4: This album came out a few months ago and I talked about it, but I decided to give it another listen. A Vast Feel of Silence by OutRun the Sunlight. Man, the more I listen to this album, the more I like it. There's a couple songs on there that even have a little bit of a cross between Archeco and King Crimson. Oh,
3: nice. Awesome. For me, I spent a lot of time listening to a lot of Pattern Seeking Animals and really, really paying more attention to it and really liking what John does. But then out of nowhere, I was off listening to some Star One and there was a track that had Damian Wilson on it. I love Damien Wilson and everything he does with Aryan and Lucasen, but he's also spent a lot of time with Threshold, yep. and I didn't really spend a lot of time listening to his work with Threshold, so I've been trying to dig into that recently. Yes, So that brings us to, I think, actually one of our more popular recent additions to the show, Craig's Unheard Of segment. That's Unheard Of. And we have a special version of it tonight, so Craig, take it away.
2: You bet. Mr. Lee Hansen, he has a podcast uh, called UP3 Show.
3: He does. We should have him on the show sometime.
2: He has a podcast, but he's also a musician and a writer of music. For this month's unheard of segment, we're going to talk to a very special guest, Mr. Lee Hansen.
1: Woo hoo!
2: <laughs> he's going to talk about a song that he's recording. So, what is the song called, Lee? Inviolate. Not in blue, not in purple,
4: but in violet? No, I N V I O L A T E. Gotcha. Not causing harm. Nice. What is special about this song? Well, this is really two segments merged into one. I promised the listeners for a couple of episodes now that I would finish my song that I've been working on that Derek Sherinian played keyboards on. Ah.
1: Oh.
4: If you go back to the Steven Wilson episode in February, so that's three months ago, we talked about the Twitter post Derek Sherinian made. Send me your MP3 and I'll play a sample on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: If you like it, then you can discuss him playing keys on your song. And I just thought, wow, that's a really interesting thing. I wonder how that works. So I dug out an old song called Power of the Mind. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Second song I ever wrote, but unpublished. Wow. It's just a song that I really struggled with and never quite got it the way I wanted it to. You know, the first song I ever wrote just like came out an hour and it was done. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh, cool. This songwriting is easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this Power of the Mind song just kind of kicked my butt. So I put it away. And then this Derek Sherinian tweet happened, and I thought, hmm, I wonder what that's like. So I got it out, dusted it off, tore it apart a little bit, re-recorded some older keyboard lines into virtual guitars. Mm -hmm. Then I recorded a scratch track, sans keyboards, and sent it to him, and he was pretty excited about it. Sent back about a minute and a half's worth sample of keyboard lines on top of what I'd already written. Nice. So he quoted me a price to record all the keys. We went back and forth just a little bit on T's and C's, and I agreed and paid him for his services, and here we are. That's cool as shit. Yeah, and I finally got everything else finished. I rewrote the second verse, did vocals, and it's mixed and mastered and ready to premiere right here on the show. What is special about this song? What key is it in? Well, there's a repeating pattern throughout it that you'll hear that is in D minor. Nice. Then there's a four-bar break that is a pair of E major, A major. And Derek threw in a 7th on that last A major, which I have to bring out. I just thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then the chorus is like D major, A minor, A minor 7, G major, F, G, C. So kind of a inverted one four five at the end. And then back to that repeating D minor run. Actually, it's more of a Dorian mode where you end up with that C major on the chorus. So are there vocals in this song, or is it an instrumental? Or Yes, there are vocals. I sang two verses and a chorus. Nice. Yeah, so vocals, bass... Drums, guitars, that's all me All the keyboards are Derek Including the solo Well, okay, I actually did a couple Of little keyboards, but they're hidden Just because I thought it needed a piano in the chorus But anyway, that's enough yammering From me, let's give it a listen Listeners, we're only going to play like a minute And a half sample during this segment But then we will put the entire song At the end of the episode, so Stick around after the outro, you can hear the whole thing dark foreboding lies.
5: A little lightning crack stirs something deep inside. Asleep and unaware before, now one content to hide. Your thoughts speak so clearly, searching for my mind. There's more than just five senses here, linking you. And travelers on this ride Before we lose each other In a time left undefined May I find you near Inviolate Sides, lies a coiled depth breaching my imagination stealing halting breaths I feel the path unfolding and cut the air for sign despite the struggle to get free Woo!
2: There you go. Oh, man. So many questions. Scott, that was that awesome. Was awesome, dude. Thanks. I'm
4: sort of in between metal and
3: progress. I don't know. It reminds me of Deck Burke's Destroy All Monsters.
4: Ooh. Oh, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah, go ahead. Questions. First of all, were you playing the squealy guitar solo? Right there where the clip was fading out, that's the second verse. And there are three very short interim guitar solos that I played on a virtual instrument, like two or three beats only, and then they're out. And I'm playing those. Those are screamy with a lot of pitch band and vibrato and feedback. But go listen to the whole song at the end of this episode. Derek Sherinian does a long, screaming synthesizer solo. Jesus Christ. Yeah, monster on the synths, man. He took the opportunity here to go really gritty, lots of feedback, pitch bending, you know, great synthesizers. Beautiful. You know,
3: dirty B3s, it was awesome. God, it's beautiful. Just love that. So how much of that is still the original song?
4: Um, Maybe about 60% is the original song. Mm. It was a much lighter song. At the beginning of the season, I was working on another song called Byzantium. And now these two pieces will go together as part of a trilogy. In Violet is part one, Byzantium part two. Cool. And then a part three I haven't written yet. In between season two and season three, I'm going to try to finish Byzantium. Cool. And maybe even go back to Derek and say, go and to do keyboards on it. So There you go. Next question. Yeah.
2: There's a D minor riff in there. Yeah.
4: Did you write that or did Derek write that? I wrote that oh man that is a tasty tasty lick thanks the only thing I didn't write was the, his solo okay I just said go nuts do what you want to do cool
3: and so from a business perspective I think we talked about this a little bit before you can credit that it's Derek Shrinian, right I can say featuring
4: featuring Derek Shrinian. that's right uh, but I keep writing credits
3: and then do you have any limitations on Is it okay to publish to streaming services? Can you make money from the track?
4: Yep, it's totally mine. I can do what I want to with it. I'm starting by publishing it to Bandcamp and Spotify, and we'll put the links in the show notes. Now, will the trilogy be like an EP length thing, or is it going to be part of a larger collection? I don't know the answer to that yet. Right now, I'm definitely committed to the first and second song. I hear the whole second song in my head, too. I just got to sit down and write it down. I mean, it's a long song. It's like a prog rock epic. Kind of thing. This one was a little more like Metal Tune, but anyway. There you go. (laughs) So if people want to hear more of your music, Lee, where would they go? You can download it from any of your favorite streaming platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, all the popular ones. Just search for Inviolate by Lee Hansen. The spelling is in the show notes. And I am also adding songs daily from the back catalog as I get them remastered
2: that is a nice piece of work man that's awesome
4: yeah thanks for doing this i appreciate you guys letting me be heard of
3: yeah you are now heard of thank you for sharing that with us lee thanks what do you have for news and stuff for us this month
4: new pattern seeking animals is out i only reiterate that came out last month because we're going to be talking to john Begold. so excellent album only passing through it is i really like it New Charlie Griffith solo album. One of the guitarists for Haken has announced a solo album that's going to be coming out called Tick Talika, releasing June 17th. Going along with that, Haken has released a teaser song for their next album called Nightingale. Mm-hmm. I really like this song. I liked it on first listen. Pete Jones stretches out on it, so I'm really liking it.
3: I saw that in the news and I haven't listened to it yet.
4: And they're coming to town in a couple of weeks. They are coming, you're right. Mid-May, I want to say. They're coming with Symphony X. Symphony
3: X. I got get tickets for that. I don't think I've purchased them yet.
4: New Porcupine Tree, closure and continuation. We've been talking about that for a while. Coming out June 24th.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Pure Reason Revolution has announced a new album called Above Cirrus. New Derek Sherinian solo album. Get out of town. He announced a new solo album called Vortex, which will release July 1st. And his lineup of people is amazing. Steve Lukather, Joe Bonamassa, Simon Phillips on drums. Some of my favorite musicians of all time. So me and my buddy Derek, man, we'll be releasing our albums at the same time. <laughs> I was so. going to say, I, I'm
2: a little disappointed that you're not a guest on yeah, that me album. me too.
3: And I'm, it's a little <laughs> unfortunate that you're going to cannibalize so much of his sales, but you know.
4: Yeah, I know. It's a tough world. And Threshold is in the studio. And all they are saying is a new album, first half of 2022. So they're running out of runway here. So get it done, guys. <laughs> yep. And that's the news. Awesome.
3: Thank you very much, Lee. Yep. You know, on that really high note, let's uh, let's go talk to one John Beghold.
4: Regular listeners of this podcast will know that I'm a huge Spock's Beard fan, and after their sixth album, Snow, came out, one of the founders and key driving forces behind the band, Neil Morris, decided to leave. And following his departure with the seventh album, Feel Euphoria, in two thousand three, I started to see the name John Beghold come up in the writing credits and as the band went on and more albums came out i found that pretty consistently the songs that i really liked had john's name on them and in 2018 as spock's beard releases noise floor i see an announcement for a new band called pattern seeking animals that john is a part of along with three current or former members of spock's beard as well john is the keyboardist and also the primary songwriter behind pattern seeking animals Very compelling songwriter and lyricist, and we'll get into some of that. And they've just released their third album, Only Passing Through. Please welcome to the UP3 show, John Begold. Welcome, John.
0: Thank you very much. Glad to be here. The crowd goes wild. The crowd goes (laughs) crazy.
4: Before we start, how you doing, COVID and all that kind of stuff? You're good?
0: Oh, everything's good. Everything's fine. I have no complaints. Okay,
4: good. The new album is great. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. Let's jump right in with some clips.
1: I've spent my day Collecting Scars Having Pain Tied The Rust But It Seems I've Been Defeated Time forever, he said. If you look, you'll find me staring down the sun.
4: That is Ever Dark Mountain, then the title track, and Said the Stranger from the third Pattern Seeking Animals album, Only Passing Through. I know you guys also did a teaser video for Rock, Paper, Scissors. Right. I found that one really compelling, the feel with the children
0: singing. Right. I
4: and mean, it feels to me like this album, I would almost say it's got a more prog feel than the last two. Would you agree with that?
0: Boy, it's tough because there's so many ways you can define prog. No matter what I write, people find pop elements in it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I write pop stuff, and they say it's pretty proggy. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I just try not to label it. But whatever you take away from it is great. Usually, when I start writing for albums, I just do a little meeting in my own head with myself. <laughs> a production meeting with you, exactly. I just think what I want to do and not do for the album. In this album, my initial thought was I wanted to make it a little more exciting overall, okay. a little more up tempo. Because it's very easy for me in my natural state of writing to get into a slower, like Pink Floyd or Mm Marillion. If I was just sitting here writing, I might come up with a five-minute piece, which is super slow and moody and minor key, and I love that kind of stuff. So I made a conscious effort to stay away from that.
2: Do you edit it down in your head as you're writing to keep it tight?
0: I usually don't edit as I'm writing. After I've heard the song a million times, I try and stand back and look at it and think, are all the sections belong in there or serving a purpose. Mm. And I find myself sometimes skipping through different sections to get to other places. And I start thinking, well, if I'm doing that, other people are going to start flipping through it. And I think as a writer, it's really important to be able to just throw things away. Even if it's a big, long, eight, 10 minute piece, Mm -hmm. you really have to be brutal. Sure. Because your fans and the people listening to it, They'll be the first ones to tell you. People have a short attention span because there's so much out there, and if you have long periods on your album or in songs where it's just not going anywhere, it can be death.
4: hmm sure. So it sounds like even from the beginning when you're writing, you've already got your producer hat on.
0: Oh, I produce as I'm going. You know, in the old days, you would write a tune and guitar and bring it into the band, and everyone would work it up, and then you would record it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I start recording the final tracks a minute. I put something down. hmm I mean, I may replace parts later, but I start building drum parts for Jimmy to play to. Whatever I come up with, a lot of that stuff from the very beginning, even though I might fine-tune it later, goes into the final recording. Okay. There's no demo versions to play because they're just the songs as they've developed. Just in various states of... Correct, yeah, yeah.
4: Okay.
3: I like what you said about removing parts because I've heard in other interviews you refer to that as filler. And if you see something that's not working, do you just trash it and never go back to it? Or are you one of those people that goes and puts that in the back catalog?
0: You know, I used to save all that stuff, but I got to the point where I realized I never used any of it again. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I don't suffer from writer's block. Maybe this comes from doing film and TV stuff in the past. You're on a schedule and you have to do it or else you can say, oh, I'm not feeling inspired this morning right i always have a zillion musical ideas around so i don't generally tend to go back to that stuff because it's it's of another song and also it's not always a certain musical section you take out for example there's a song in this album called said the stranger yes it's, you know said the stranger that whole part mm-hmm. originally there was two verses and two choruses in there so at one point i was listening to it and just thought you know the second verse it doesn't really say anything and i'm not going to repeat something just to repeat it so i just took out that verse and that chorus and it, Shave like a minute 20 out of the song. You know, I never missed it because it didn't really advance a song anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I find myself saying, well, now I need to repeat the verse and chorus because that's the pop part of my mind. Going, that's how songs work. That's how <laughs> songs work. Verse, <laughs> chorus, verse, chorus. But it, especially in Prague or more inventive, newer stuff, you don't really have to do that.
2: Right. It's not like you set out to be Prague. You just choose to sort of like not follow convention, perhaps.
0: You know, I started out in the 70s as being a fanatic Yes and Genesis fan and Jethro Tull and Gentle Giant. Sure. Yep. So that's in my gene pool of me. Yep. If I was sitting down specifically writing a pop song, it wouldn't sound prog at all. But if I'm running for this market and this band and stuff I really like with no roadblocks, whatever sounds good and is good and is cool, without getting too far into... A lot of prog wanking, you know, super long <laughs> solos and instrumental noodly parts just to have them mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And I can listen to it and love that kind of stuff, but I'm just not in a period of my life where I want to do that.
3: So when you sit down and you're writing a pop song or a straight ahead rock song or something like that, are you putting blinders onto certain things or barriers in your way to make sure you stay in that path?
0: Anytime you're writing for another band, you have to have in your head the parameters that they work with. Mm-hmm okay, you know the guitar player is never going to play this country riff and the keyboard player is never going to use this sound and the vocalist is never going to sing this subject matter. So there's natural blinders on that way. And I mean blinders. And sometimes that makes it a lot easier too yeah. because you know the parameters you're working with in, right. which is important because I'm not going to waste my time doing something which goes into a bluegrass section if there isn't a chance in hell that they're going to play it. Right. <laughs> uh, with Pattern Seeking Animals, it's just whatever sounds good, it is. I guess the only thing in my head and while I'm writing for an album is, does this song sound too much like another song I've already come up with? Is it too close (laughs) to something else that we're going to have to choose which one to use later because they're kind of similar?
3: I was doing some research and I found that you were doing movie scoring, mostly B sci-fi movies.
0: I think B is being generous. (laughs) Yes. C, maybe D or C, right? (laughs)
3: Particularly the movie Escape from Area 51 and the score and the soundtrack on that with the Prague Collective and Todd Rundgren on there. Did you have an influence on having
0: them on the soundtrack in addition to the score or how did that all work out? These movies are as low budget and as cheesy as you can get. Mm -hmm. But I have a good friend (laughs) I've known for 40 years who's a producer and a writer, great guy. And I've done any movie he's done since the eighties, but now he's in this company called Girls and Corpses. And he started doing these low-budget movies with this company called Tomcat. And he would just call me up and say, hey, we have virtually no money. you want to do a score? And I said, yeah, no problem. Here's the deal, though. I'm going to do it over a weekend. Good Lord. You have no revisions. You're just going to take what I give you. And he's fine with that. And everyone's always happy. What happened with Area 51 was that I scored the whole movie and then they sold it to, was a Cleopatra Records? Mm-hmm. When I got done with it, it was just all my music. Then I find out it's Patrick Moraz and Billy Sherwood or something like that. <laughs> Jeez. I had nothing to do with that. Okay. <laughs> it was just all after I contributed.
4: You, early on, moved to California and hooked up with Dave Maros pretty quickly. That's way, way back where this started for you?
0: Yeah. I moved here in 1980 from Detroit. I guess I was like 22, 23, right around there. Okay. I was playing bass at the time, mm-hmm. and I immediately started finding people to play in a band with. You kept going through guitar players, essentially. And the drummer in my band at the time was also playing with another band called Casanova, which was Alan Neil Morris. Oh. And I played enough rhythm guitar, so I said, why don't we just do this? Why don't I start playing rhythm guitar while we practice? Let's find a real bass player. Then maybe we can get someone who can come in and play lead guitar just because it's just getting super frustrating keeping guitar players. Steve, the drummer, knew Dave from a session he did. and said, let's have Dave Morris." I think it was 1983 or 84 or something like that.
4: I was looking through Discogs, and I saw one Orphan Moon album. And
0: that's with Dave, right? Yes, there's, there was two Orphan Moon albums. Okay. And that, I just put out myself. We came very close to a record deal a couple times. So that was the mid-'90s. And in fact, Rock, Paper, Scissors is an early version of that song on one of those. I saw that on the track list. But yeah, Orphan Moon, we played some gigs. I was in a band right before that with the singer Diane and Dave Maros, also Gary Cambra. It a great prog band called Map of Shadows, which turned into Orphan mm. Moon, which is more alt-rock, folky kind of thing. Mm. And they also with Dave Maros. In fact, the original violin player in that band is going to be David Ragsdale from Kansas. Oh, wow. Rags used to come into the music store Dave and I worked in. So we recorded a couple of things. And I'm thinking, boy, this band is going to be great. And he calls me one day, dude, you're never going to believe this. I got the gig with Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> that was it, so... Yeah, that band, just we put a couple things out, and that kind of fizzled in the late 90s. Okay.
4: So Spock's Beard, we've already talked about your connections with Al, Neil, and Dave. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when Snow's done, for Spock's Beard fans, they all know that's Neil Morse's departure. Yep. The very next album is Feel Euphoria. My assumption is you presented some of your material
0: to Al and Dave and said, I'd like to be writer for you guys. I've been working with them since before Spock's was together. Because I heard the demo that Neil did before Nick and Dave were even in the band. And I said, I don't know what you need me to do. I'm not good enough to play in this band, but I will do anything you need. Okay. Yeah, after Neil left, I didn't play anything for the guys. They all knew because Dave knew that I wrote. I asked him after I heard Neil had left, what's going to happen? Well, they said, well, we're going to keep going with the band. And I said, okay, I'm going to write with you guys.
4: That's great. It was as
0: simple as that. It was just, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it looks like there's a lot
4: of co-writing credits here with Dave, at least in the Spox days
0: exactly and usually what it was is dave would come up with some kind of cool piece of music like a verse chorus singer cool progression or melody and then he would just give it to me then i would flesh it out or write the lyrics and the melody Mm -hmm. because dave never wrote lyrics he would come up with cool musical ideas okay
3: so going back to what we were talking about a minute ago about writing in a style what were you trying to maintain of spock's that you said okay this is the spock sound i know i need to maintain
0: at that point nothing Because they weren't gonna try to sound like Neil Morse V two. Right. First of all, writers have a different style and a different vibe. And even if I wanted to sound like Neil, you know, you can come up with certain things Neil would do or the type of direction or chord changes, but it's not gonna sound the same no matter what you do.
4: Right. Sound like a knockoff.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you don't want it to sound derivative. Right. At first I was a little tentative in working with them, I would kind of let them come up with some of the musical stuff and then I would add to it. I would just come up with cool music, which I thought sounded good because I was the first Nick was with the band. So it was a very different unit at that point. And I think the first album was just trying to find the footing of what they wanted to do. Then as time went by with them, I went more into a groove with the type of thing they wanted to do.
3: Gotcha.
2: Yeah. So when you're doing the writing, how much are you dictating who does what? How organic is the process? Where's the handoff?
0: With Spox, I would have pretty fully formed demos. I would write out bass parts, some guitar parts, obviously some keyboard parts and grooves. Mm -hmm. And then it would be the situation where, okay, I'm not going to put anything here because this is where a guitar solo should go. Mm -hmm. But I tend to be pretty complete with demos and I don't leave too much to be messed with for better or worse. You know, it's tough for me to hand something over to someone when it's just some ideas and not really gelled together. Like one of my favorite
4: songs of all time is Jaws of
0: Heaven. Good taste. That's my favorite thing I ever did with Spock Spirit.
4: <laughs> I love that song. And I love that album. Yeah. Quiet House, Edge of the In-Between, they're all great songs. Thanks. So Jaws of Heaven, that's a relatively complex song. It's got four movements in it, kind of lengthy. Is there a round number you can put to how much of that you actually had finished before you handed off to the band?
0: That song, when we gave the band the demo, it was fully formed start to finish. Okay. Wow. There's a line in it after about the first 2 minutes which starts on the piano da 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 Dave wrote that as a bass line in another section of the song. I thought, I'm going to use that as a melody throughout the song and keep coming back to it, because it was such a cool thing. Yeah. So I built everything around that. Then the middle part where it starts, cold night in a quiet town, da 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 I think it's a 5-8 groove Dave came up with on the piano. That's all part two. Then I wrote everything around it. Okay. Yeah, I went back to the beginning that Johnny Cash, you know, weary I was walking, da da da, da, da. Right.
5: <laughs> right, right.
1: Weary I was walking,
0: a disassembled man.
1: I wandered through creation, a ghost upon the land, cloaked in threads of all my lifetime.
0: Deep into bowl. Al said, it sounds a lot like Johnny Cash. And I said, yeah, isn't yeah. that cool? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> it's a Western. <laughs> That's what I was going for because Nick has a really like I walked on. The... Nick has a beautiful voice. He has a fantastic range. You know, a lot of people have like a sweet spot. His just all the way up is great. Wow. So, yeah, so that song, once we got through part two, then I just took it from the end and I wrote some new sections that. Part three was a new section, then part four was based on da 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 you know, slow down with the symphony. Yes. No, that was fully arranged and mapped out when the guys got it. That's amazing.
4: So another example, Bulletproof off of Noise Floor. That song is all yours. Uh Uh-huh. Similar question. Is there a point where you just have to hand it off and the final version is what it is?
0: I was not happy with the way that song turned out. Interesting. I think the album turned out fine. There was a lot of stuff going on during that time, which I wasn't happy with the way it was turning out. But that's a whole other story. Okay. Bulletproof may end up one day on another pattern seeking animals
4: i love that song
0: Yeah, there was some changes made I was not happy with. It's their prerogative to do it. Yeah. Again, everything. It's all all the modulations, all the chord changes, the melody. That's all.
4: That's all written out. That's all me, yeah. I really like the way that song moves between kind of the trials and tribulations you've seen to the chorus with, but today you can't stop me. I'm going to the
0: roof. Right, I'm going to the roof. Take a shot. Exactly.
4: I believe I caught a making of Noise Floor video. Where you talked about that song specifically and made a Cal Sills reference in it?
0: Yes, uh, it's "The Rain, the Park, and Other Stories" with the harpsichord and the harp. Right. And we'll go on a cloudy day, and I had the harpsichord going. Right. With like a flute patch, it reminded me very much of the Cal Sills. see, that's the thing you talked about before, about putting blinders on or roadmaps. Mm-hmm. If something comes off like a 60s pop song, great. I'm not going to stop it if it's good. In fact, the section, well, I woke up, it's a cloudy day. I put that lower octave voice in there specifically to sound like The Temptations. Oh, oh wow. Nice. Maybe the first time that reference has ever been used in prog music. <laughs> but it sounded good, so, you know, go for it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. While we're here, I also want to bring up you're a very good lyricist. I think a lot of people don't really put the thought into lyrics the way you do. For example, Bennett built a time machine. You wrote, to warn good people in the past of earthquakes, locusts, plagues, or insurrections. Right. Now, how many people can say they put that in a rock song?
0: Exactly. <laughs> When I was writing that song, I was just trying to make the lyrics sound different, like something you haven't heard of before.
1: Hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, even songs like We Write the Ghost Stories, yeah. the lyrics in that, Unbroken Horses Won't Share the Blame, It's All But Over, They've Rigged the Game, Searching the Sacraments, There Are No Accidents.
0: Yeah, I love reading these because they're thought-provoking, I guess, is the best way for me to put it. Mm-hmm. What I try to do with lyrics is not to hit anything so much on the nose where it's immediately obvious what I'm writing about. Obviously, Bennett Build a Time Machine, you know what the theme is there. Yeah. But Unbroken Horses, I like the imagery and I like putting words together that flow and sing really well and sound unique. Again, not to be so much on the point where people can listen to it and think they know what it means. And they may be right, but they may not be right. I like that, where it's not so obvious, where you interact with it. Right.
3: There's a lot of lyricists, and I'm not going to name names here, but... Oh, come on! (laughs) Where they can be a little obtuse yeah i like what you're saying about i'm not on the nose about what these lyrics mean and i think some lyricists go too far they're too flowery they're too out there they're too obtuse sometimes it's like come on you got to come a little bit back down to earth and i think you strike the perfect balance
0: if you were to really sit down and listen to a lot of john anderson's lyrics with yes yeah Sun Tower asking, you know, what? (laughs) But it sounds so damn good when he's singing (laughs) it. It's it's cool lyrics. He's the guy that can get away with it. Oh, yeah. And you listen to it and it just becomes part of your vocabulary for the next 50 years of your life. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because I have a background in pop music, which I've always loved, Mm -hmm. which is all about the melody and the lyrics. It's not something I can do as a throwaway. Today's
4: mediums like Spotify and Bandcamp, things like that. For songwriters, have those mediums made things better, worse, no difference?
0: Overall, it's definitely helped songwriters. You know, good and bad parts about everything, right? Sure. 25, 30 years ago, if you were in a band and you didn't get a record deal, you were out of luck. Mm -hmm. There was no place else unless you were independently wealthy and could put out your own CDs or albums. It was just the people signed to the major and some of the minor labels that got anywhere. Yeah with Bandcamp and everything that came out since then, it allowed people to put out their own stuff. Yes. You produce yourself and you sell a hundred copies, you probably made more money than that band who would have sold 250,000 back then because everything was being recouped. So overall, it's been really great because everyone can put out their own stuff. On the other hand, there's so much out there. So
4: are you a member of BMI or ASCAP? Do you use that to get paid when you're a songwriter for a band like that?
0: There's two streams of money. BMI is a performance. Okay. I've been a member of BMI for 35 years. They pay when something is broadcast, like radio play for the producer. So there's a stream there called performance royalties. Right. The other income stream is from physical sales. Mechanical. The mechanical royalties. I have a publisher that takes care of that.
4: Okay.
3: One of the things that for me as a prog fan, I really love the whole experience of a prog album. Sure. And a lot of artists that put a lot of love and care into the liner notes, the album art. What I'm hearing is that you are more focused on the music, not necessarily the the rest of that.
0: Yeah. For the liner notes, I just don't get into them. I like being involved in the graphics like the, the one you're seeing behind me here.
4: Listeners, if you want to follow visually, look at the cover art for only passing through.
0: I wanted the artwork to not look like your typical Prague album cover with a bunch of incongruities. And I liked that cover, which Thomas Eberhardt did. Mm -hmm. And to me, it looks like an old 60s paperback novel cover or something like that.
3: Right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I thought of Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew novels. That's exactly what I was thinking of.
0: That's the reason I liked it, because you'd see these old movie posters from the 60s. They just had their own look. Mm -hmm. and the idea of this album cover was I saw a story last year of a town in Finland and, you know, they had the long nights over the winter mm-hmm. and they were having a problem because the reindeer were running out on the road and getting hit by cars. Oh. So what they did was they trapped them and they painted their antlers with fluorescent paint. Oh, no
1: shit. Oh, wow.
0: So if your car came up to them on the road, the night with their headlights on, they would light up and they wouldn't get hit. I thought, well, that's really cool. Uh, Then when I started thinking about the artwork for this, I worked with Thomas on that. I'm really happy with the way it turned out.
4: So as we approached the more recent Spock's albums, Oblivion Particle, Noise Floor, and Brief Nocturnes, you're contributing more complete songs, not so much co-written anymore.
0: Well, what happened was that there's a few songs I had written in the last couple albums before Ted joined, which I was writing most of it anyway. Okay. I was having trouble getting other guys in a band to write, uh. which is not uncommon with a lot of musicians. And a lot of people look at writing, a, we need to do it now, and we should start writing for it. And if it's three years apart, I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumb. Okay. Even if I have nothing going on, I get up every morning, and I turn my studio on, mm-hmm. and I write all the time. Mm. So it just got to the point with Smocks where by the time they start looking around and saying, hey, we should put on a new album, I have two hours worth of material. Okay. So, you know, water finds its own level, and I had a lot of material. You took it to Inside Out as a proposal? I had a couple songs left over from the noise floor. I didn't think about doing an album at first. I just wanted to go in and do demos with live drums, which I got Jimmy to do a few of the right. songs. We scheduled a session, and I wrote a couple more in the meantime. They turned out really good, and I said, Hey, Dave and Tad, hey, you want to just put their stuff in there, and we'll just send it to the record company and see what they think? I didn't even think it was going to be an album. You know, I think if we're lucky, he might have offered us to, well, maybe we'll put it out. And he said, no, I'm into this. Why don't you finish it? Let's put it out as an album. That's great. And I talked to the other guys and it's like, well, I guess we're a band. (laughs) Then from there, it's like, well, let's put together some other songs and mix these so it sounds like they meant to be an album from the get-go.
4: And so that's the first Pattern Seeking Animals. Right. For listeners not familiar, John is the keyboardist and primary writer. Ted Leonard on vocals and guitar. Jimmy Keegan on drums. And Dave Maros on bass.
3: Was that intended at that point to be a band that's going to produce multiple albums? Or was it, hey, this is a one-off thing?
0: No. Thomas at uh, Inside Out, at first, he was talking about doing it as a one-off. And they said, you know what? Let's do a three-album deal. He said, do you think you're going to be able to come up with the material? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I write continually. <laughs> that's not an issue. So I talked to the other guys, and it's like, hey, guys, guess what? We're a band. <laughs> It's great because everyone's easygoing and everyone's great players and we all get along and there's no fighting or anything. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the the best uh, situation. That's great.
2: Is that waking up and going in the studio and writing kind of one to 10? Is it like, I just love doing this and it's a labor of love?
0: I do love doing it sometimes. Sometimes it's just Mm -hmm. a big pain in the ass and sometimes it's just really (laughs) frustrating and tedious. And then something will pop into my head. Oh, this might be a cool riff. And all of a sudden, I'm making a new, new, new song. And that's where it gets really exciting, where it comes together. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd probably have 200 different little musical bits. Right. Anywhere from a little on a guitar. Oh, this would be a cool riff. Or f- almost fully formed songs. And most of them will never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden you're writing something and it does go somewhere. I think it's cool and working out it's, it's very exciting you can't keep me away from trying to finish right. it because it's just yeah, yeah. It's like it hits that critical mass of oh this is cool it needs to be a song
4: that's great let's listen to some clips from the first self-titled album
0: unbroken horses are scattering
1: out past the fences they're circling gathering forces and dashing our hopes so go Searching the sacraments These were no accidents Every soul in town Was drowning Empty elves made Worth every penny That I gladly paid So very impressive I'm sure
4: that is we write the ghost stories these are my things and no one ever died and made me king from the first pattern sinking animals album
0: you know it's funny you mentioned no one ever died made me king that was about my favorite song on the album and virtually no one else ever mentions it really no one mentions that song and i always really liked it we write the ghost story is jimmy's favorite song off of that album i love that song
4: the guitar bass procession the way that that starts in no one ever died made me king i love that oh cool that, to me, has just got Kansas all over it.
0: Yeah, that song started during Oblivion Particle for Spock Spirit, a very different version. Okay. And it just, it just wasn't working out. I was actually going to get David Ragsdale to play on that song,
4: uh,
0: uh, but he ended up playing on the song Disappear. Okay. My other favorite on that one is, is probably Same Mistakes Again. First album
4: is Eponymous. Yep. Then you go to Prehensile Tales. And to me, Prehensile Tales and Only Passing Through the last two albums really start to have a different production feel to me yeah how much influence do you see people like rich mauser have on that i believe he's engineered all three of your albums
0: yeah well he has a big influence on the overall sound because the studio is so damn good and i'm very happy for him to make suggestions especially when mixing Mm -hmm. everything is so subjective and there might be two parts and i'm thinking okay the keyboard part should be louder here or quieter here and rich will say no, but this is a really cool guitar part. This should be more featured. And I'll say, oh, okay, cool. And I, I usually go with him <laughs> on those things because he's more objective about it. Okay. His engineering is so great. And so on the overall mixing and the overall sound, he definitely has a finger in the pie there.
4: I've been finding over the last two or three years, like I'll pick up the last Liquid Tension Experiment album or yeah. the last Dilemma album, and I'll love it and I'll flip it over and there's Rich Mouser, his engineer.
0: He's done our third album now. And let's say I were to think, well, I'm going to try someone else. Why would I want to do that? Yeah. I mean, because first of all, you try someone else and it doesn't work, you're just screwed. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to get something great with Rich. Yeah. Plus, it's just easier to. You know, I just drive over there and we just hang out and you know put stuff yeah. down. And no, he's uh, he's part of the equation.
3: Yeah, I think that that's one of the components of producing an album that maybe some listeners don't really pay as much attention to, like how much influence the producer can have over the final sound of an album.
0: Yeah. It also depends how much a band or an artist is willing to let the producer make suggestions. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I've been in situations where I've been asked to help with something, and any suggestion you make, they go, no, I'm going to do it my way. And it's like, well, why am I even here? (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: You really have to have faith in a producer that they're out for your best interest. And if they're saying, you know, this song, uh, it's not really cutting it, this shouldn't be on the album. Even though you may love it, you've got to really take those things seriously because Mm -hmm. that producer is looking for the the best interest of the group and is the best Mm -hmm. interest of the final product of the album. Right. And also, he's the engineer. I'm the producer. Producer's kind of different these days a lot of times, too.
3: That's true.
0: Producer used to be like Eddie Offord, who would come in after Yes had all the songs together for an album, like Close to the Edge, and they'd played it a zillion times in rehearsal. And he would come in and record it and make suggestions and get the sounds good and everything. Mm -hmm. From my end, I'm producing from the minute I start writing a song, because it's all about what songs right. are going to go on the album, what songs are going to be used. And a lot of that comes from being able to do everything yourself. With all the samples and keyboards and everything that's out there now. And do
4: you lean more heavily towards having everything right in front of you, like a keyboard or a synth? Or do you lean more towards virtual instruments in the CPU, things like that?
0: I have one of those new Mellotron. Okay. That's the only physical keyboard I own. Oh wow! Everything else is in the box. Yep. I don't have the room to put a million keyboards, yeah, and I'm not a okay. great keyboard player anyway, so I can manipulate it better with the virtual instruments or the sample libraries. Okay. And mm-hmm. the only thing is, occasionally, although it's getting a lot better, some things maybe sound a little too sterile mm-hmm. from the uh, the virtual instruments. But that's a very easy fix. You, when you get it over to Riches, for example. And you think, well, this sounds a little sterile. Well, let's run it through this guitar amp here and mic it and just give it a little more grit or edge.
4: Okay. Does Rich have the flexibility to say something like, Hey, John, why don't you play that line second inversion instead? Or take that down an octave or something like that?
0: No. Okay. And he wouldn't because when he gets the parts I've put down, those are the parts. Okay. For example, besides the drums, which we recorded in the studio, because it was during the pandemic, And the trumpet player there is no one else in the studio with us ever okay and if we're recording drums and rich says hey jimmy you know maybe you should play this type of beat there i'm totally into it go for it you know because rich has really great instincts as far as that stuff goes and the trumpet player if i say for example "Oh that take was really cool and rich might say you know i'm not sure let's try it so it's a little more behind the beat swing it a little bit or exactly and i think great let's go for it maybe he's hearing something that i'm not I'm not a control freak, really, as far as that goes. Right. Mm -hmm. I just want the thing to sound good, so if someone has a better suggestion than I've come up with, let's go for it. I'm always game.
4: Cool. Let's hear some more. This is a medley from the second album, Prehensile Tales. Lifeboat, Elegant Vampires, and Soon But Not Today from the second Pattern Seeking Animals album. And again, to me the second and the third album, Prehensile Tales, and Only Passing Through, the new one just feel different to me. I really like the multi-movement feel and a little more cohesive maybe.
0: One reason is because although I'm very happy with the way the first album came out, it wasn't meant to be a band when I started doing it. It was a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. Where the second two albums, you start out the blank page and you say, okay, what do I want this record to sound like? What kind of material? You start writing so it's going to sound like it's on one record. And you tend to write toward a different vibe as you're going. It gives it more of an overall album sound and only passing through was essentially done a year after the second one. Mm. I just don't want it to sound like it's a run-on. Oh, this third album is just material from the last one. Right. If you're putting out one album every four or five years, that's usually not an issue. Now,
4: you're a prime songwriter on most of this, but Much Ado was one of Ted's songs, right? Uh-huh.
0: That song has been around for a while. Okay. Ted brought in a bunch of songs when he joined Spox, like Hiding Out, yeah. Submerged. Minion. Minion, yeah. And when we did Pattern Seeking Animals, when we were putting it together, I said, Ted, I've always liked that song. Let's do a version. And he said, well, I kind of want to do that with Enchant because we'd already played it live and we're going to be making an album. And I said, damn, because I love that song. So the Prehensile Tales came up. Ted... You know, I really wanted to do, I wanted to do this song? Ted. Because I'm not sure because, you know, because the guys have said, oh, no. <laughs> so for the third album, I just started demoing it the way I heard it, <laughs> making it sound like a Pattern Seeking Animals song. And it's like, finally, okay, yeah, let's do it. Cool. <laughs> I've always loved that song. Great lyrics, great song, great melody and everything. That's a great song. I'm glad he finally relented under my extreme pressure.
4: So Pattern Seeking Animals is about to hit the road live. But you are not the live keyboardist. I know you use Dennis Atlas for keyboards and vocals and Walter Eno.
0: Yeah, Dennis in the band is playing strictly keys, and he's also a really good singer. He's WizKids, phenomenal, gifted player. And then Walter is playing some keys, but he's also playing acoustic guitar, electric guitar, electric sitar, mandolin. Oh, jeez! Really talented guy, a great utility player.
4: So is it just by choice? I don't want to go out and tour and do all
0: that, pack my bags and... I never really liked playing live. It just seems like a hassle. And the older I get, I just am not into it at all. <laughs> and the reality is I'm not really good enough to play the material I write. <laughs> Sounds funny, but I'm really not. I can play enough keyboards to write with.
2: Right. get the point across.
0: Yeah, but I'm not. I can't do that stuff.
2: So are you self-taught? What's your background and training?
0: Yeah, self-taught. I don't really read music.
2: When did you realize this was your calling?
0: I started as a bass player in high school, and I played bass up until, like I said, when Dave joined the band, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and I still played it from until about 85, 86, Mm -hmm. probably in my actually early 30s, I started realizing, you know, I'm an average bass player at best, and there are so many people who play so much better than me, I got to do something else. This is going nowhere. Yeah. So at that point, I started thinking about, I'm going to start writing now. So you started writing at 30? I had written some lyrics and stuff in my mid-20s, mm-hmm. but the first song I wrote, yeah, right around when I was 30, I think. Wow. And I bought a synth and a sequencer, and I started getting hired to do some instrumental things for some commercials because I was one of the first ones with all that cool new modern stuff. Wow. And Dave and I broke off from that band, and we started this kind of pop band. Mm-hmm. So we wrote a bunch of pop songs, had a great female vocalist at the time. And that's when I just really started writing and getting into it, slogging away. You know, people have different gifts. I don't know if I'm gifted, but I'm just kind of tenacious about it.
2: So it's almost like you have a songwriting muscle that you sort of developed from nothing at about 25 or 30. And you're at the point now where stuff's just always coming out.
0: Yeah, I think part of it is looking at songwriting... As much of a craft as it is an art. Okay. When you do like TV and movie stuff, the director says, "I need 10 minutes of music for this scene by tomorrow 1 p.m."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can't say, "Oh, I'm not really inspired." Right. You have to churn it out. You have to do it. I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I'm not. No, oh, no, I can't. My muse isn't arrived. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You have to do it. Sure. A lot of times, it just turns out really cool. It's like, oh, great, this is how it turns out. And I never would have done this if I was sitting around just waiting to become inspired. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of it, is just continue to do it. And the other thing I think helped a lot with my songwriting, I know my limitations. Reading music, I've written string parts, and I've written for big orchestra parts. And I have to teach myself every time I do that to remember, I don't remember where the notes on the graph are. But one thing I do have is something in my head which knows how certain instruments are supposed to sound because I listen to so much music. Mm. If I'm writing something and I want to write an oboe part, I know from listening to classical music, well, this is the type of thing an oboe would play here.
4: Got it. That's great. So one final thing, John, at the end of our shows, we always do recommendations. And when we have a guest, we ask them, what are they listening to? What would you recommend? And it doesn't have to be Prague, whatever you're listening to.
0: Well, you know, the one thing I just bought, Peter Jones, Tiger Moth Tales. Oh, yeah. I just consider him just a monster talent. A lot of stuff I listen to, a lot of K-pop groups. Oh, cool. Dreamcatcher, Red Velvet. And the reason I listen to a lot of that stuff, just I've always loved pop music. Okay. And Western pop gets a little too simplistic for me sometimes. Mm -hmm. The K-pop stuff, the arrangements and the song structures and chordal changes and melodies are super sophisticated. Really? But when I listen to younger performers, uh, I just like that kind of vibrancy, you know. And they're doing all this music before they realize how horrible the music business is. <laughs> they're not jaded yet. <laughs> exactly. They're still really hopeful about life and really, really positive. That's why I love I love that stuff. That's great. Also, there's this new group on Inside Out called Wilderun. Ooh,
4: I would have to listen to that.
0: W i l d e r u n. Okay. Oh. Acoustic guitar stuff, really inventive string arrangements. So that's a really cool band. Aside from that, I'm listening to the new Tears for Fears album. Yes, which is really good. Tipping point. John Beghold, thank you very much for coming on the show. No
4: problem.
2: Love the new album. Best of luck, John. Take care. It was great talking to you.
0: Anytime. Thank you. Okay. Later. Take care.
3: That interview was really fabulous. What had your interest peaked from what he recommended there?
4: I really liked how much he talks about how pop music has influenced what he writes.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Because in a prog podcast, we can have this ooh, pop, aversion to pop, like it's the anti-prog. What he proves there is you can take any influence, including pop, and weave it into your music.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about you, Craig?
4: I really was
2: inspired, you know, not to overstate it. The fact that he just knew music was going to be his life, mm-hmm. and he just kind of kept fishing around until he found something that he could do. And that thing turns out to be this incredibly prolific gift of being able to just write millions of songs and great melodies. And yep. I just have so much admiration and respect for people that can do that. Yeah. And he was a great guy. He is. It was really fun to talk to him. That was it was fun.
3: So awesome to talk to That was by far one of my favorite things I've done on this show, and I would love maybe in the future to have him back because I think that there's plenty more stories that he hasn't told.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt.
3: So as we exit the show, thank you again, Lee, for sharing your track at the beginning of the show. We're going to put the full thing at the end of the show, so listeners stick around till the end of the show, and you can listen to Lee's full track there. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at UP3Show, or you can contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear from you about what kind of topics you'd like for us to cover here on the show. And as we wind down on Season 2 here, that's particularly important because we're going to be taking our normal summer hiatus. And I'd love to hear what you guys would like for us to talk about in Season 3. Yep. If you want to show us some support, it's easy. Don't forget to hit the uh, subscribe button wherever it is that you get your podcasts, our homepage on up3show.podbean.com. And also, please take a moment to write a review. This does factor into the magical algorithms and helps to make sure that other listeners find the show. If you would like to support us financially, we would be very grateful and appreciate that. We're on Patreon over at uh, patreon.com slash up3show. If you toss us a few coins, it'll help us pay for hosting and other things needed to keep the show going. Thank you guys very, very much. And we'll talk to you next month.
4: See you next month. And here's the full version of Inviolate. Dark, foreboding lies A
1: little
5: lightning crack Stirs something deep inside Asleep and unaware Before now, one content to hide Your thoughts speak so clearly Searching for my mind There's more than just five senses here Linking you and travelers on this ride Before we lose each other In a time left undefined May I find you near Inviolate facades lies a coiled depth breaching my imagination stealing halting breaths I feel the path unfolding and cut the air for sign despite the struggle to get free there is all I find pressure slowly builds and holds me unaware breaking hard upon the wall before I yourself to choose tranquility or strife one dictates the senior view one can prolong
3: Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations, you're getting everything you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We make no claim of copyright to any of the music featured in our samples and strongly recommend that you support the artists we talk about by buying their albums and merchandise or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together.